Welcome to the Language for Leading podcast with the founder and CEO of the Business of Leading Incorporated, Julian Sturton. Since the early 1990s, Julian has equipped leaders from across the globe with an operating system and real-world set of tools that have improved relationships on all levels, and the work has meant real success in business and life for so many. Hello, I'm Jordan Rich, and Julian and I are about to engage in conversation with an important thought leader. His name is Daniel Wagner, the founder of Country Risk Solutions. He's an American living in many parts of the world with decades of experience managing cross-border risk. He's an authority on political risk insurance and analysis. He's been involved in global energy projects and has published more than 700 articles on risk management and current affairs. For much more on Daniel, visit his website, countryrisksolutions.com. Our topic on this podcast is America's place in the world. And I'll turn things over to Julian to begin the conversation. I think people are very, very frightened because they don't know how to address what's going on around the world. So when, Daniel, you mentioned uh, America's place in the world, that's that's the core of this discussion because I'd like to find out how is it, not just on behalf of Daniel Wagner, but how might the world respond if that was the world's headline right now, which is America's place in the world, because that's being contested, isn't it, right now? That's correct, Julian. I would not only say that America's place in the world is being tested, I would suggest that a lot of individuals' place in the world is being tested today on a regular basis. And why is that? It is because the norms that we used to believe in, the norms we could count on when some of us who are older were growing up, they don't seem to exist anymore. People don't seem to know the difference or necessarily care about right versus wrong. What they seem to care about is winning, and they seem to care about what's best for them. And so if we translate this also into America and its place in the world, it also seems to have lost its way because it used to be the case that if America snapped its fingers, Latin America went right to attention. It's not doing that anymore. Neither is so much else of the world. That's because so much has changed. The question in my mind is, can America find its place in the world again? Part of the reason that it lost its way also is that during the Trump era, we lost a lot of our allies. They began to wonder, you know, is America still an ally we can count on? Is an agreement with America worth the paper it's printed on? In the Biden era, that has been revived somewhat. Many of our allies through the Ukraine conflict have come to see America as a, as a country and a government that they can rely on. However, bringing together again this theme about individuals and America, the country, Americans and America, I'm reminded of what JFK said back in the early 1960s. Ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And it seems that we've lost our way in a sense. People have lost a sense of what is the appropriate thing to do for me, but also for my country. Yeah, that's very well put, because I think, as you pointed out, uh, America's place in the world is no longer about America's point of view. It's being challenged. Not that it wasn't challenged going back to the days of the uh, what we call in Britain, the, the War of Independence, 
right, the Revolutionary War. That was just one of the periods. Now, the extent of which uh, the rest of the world has taken what probably was going on over 200 years ago in the eastern and northeastern shores of the United States is now being challenged on a different level. Because, of course, what is happening is uh, not unlike what happened in Brazil not soon after the version of January the 6th. There seems to be a similarity between individuals uh, who were marching up the steps of the uh, the uh, Capitol building, yes, they weren't marching up the steps saying, I've got some form of authority. They were challenging authority, were they not? And we're seeing the repercussions of that all over the world, whether it be Iran, Israel, in Russia, even though uh, Russia has been uh, disabled to challenge authority for probably several hundreds of years. So I think the subject matter of America's um, um, place in the world is, as you pointed out, Dan, it's for everybody to be looking at and seeing what's going on around the world. It brings uh, in the word responsibility, which is, of course, instead of people acting and reacting, which is why I wrote that particular document, uh, people are having to understand uh, the way in which each individual, whether it's somebody listening to this podcast in the outer reaches of, of, uh, of uh, the Middle East or to the outer reaches of, of, of industrial landscape in uh, India or wherever it's going on around the world, well, people are in their own particular interpretation will asking their version of America's place in the world, India's place in the world, China's place in the world, or the Russians who've been sort of held hostage by authority for probably three or four hundred years is place in the world. So it's a very, very exciting topic. And I, I like when I have to think of myself as, as someone who's responding to that rather than just acting and reacting. To me, Julian, you know, you, you talked about the concept of responsibility. I would juxtapose that also with the sense of obligation, right, to oneself and one's country. And it seems to me that part of what's implied in leadership is knowing what one's responsibility is, but also knowing what one's obligations are. And yes. there is a, a subtle difference between the two, right? But we have uh, responsibilities and obligations to ourselves and to our country. The question is, uh, what is also America's responsibility and obligation to the rest of the world? Because for so many years, we were the sole uh, world's policemen. And we've sort of recoiled back from that role for some well-founded reasons, I would submit. But uh, there is no one else who will be the world's policeman. Where do we draw the line then between obligation and responsibility? And uh, although there are plenty of people around the world who don't like the idea of America being a policeman and taking this responsibility, it seems to me there are plenty of others who are counting on it. And uh, all yes. of this also seems to, to sort of uh, be an issue of 
where do you draw the line? Uh, where are the guardrails? Where are the boundaries? Who establishes them? Who should establish them? Should they be established? I mean, one of the things going on in the world today is that there don't seem to be a lot of guardrails for countries, a lot of guardrails for individuals in American society. And I think that's part of the problem. It's hard to be a leader when you don't have those guideposts. Dan, as as an expert in all things cyber, and uh, you have your finger on that pulse quite often, isn't it inevitable, the genie out of the bottle with the internet and the speed of communication, that uh, no matter what we do, there'll be people criticizing and contemplating it seconds after it happens. The mis- or disinformation campaigns begin instantaneously. How does anyone, how do any country or any individual combat that or deal with that? Yeah, it's a great question, Jordan. You know, people are getting so excited these days about chat GPT and are enamored with the possibilities that it implies, but they're not thinking perhaps of the uh, the, the evil side of chat GPT and how it's likely to uh, exacerbate some of the problems that already exist in cyberspace. Uh, th- this brings up, you know, another interesting question, which is the impact that social media is having on all of us and has had for many years. It, if we put that then into the concept of leadership, one of the questions I find myself asking is, instead of following the herd, uh, how do you control the herd or how do you reject the herd? And it seems that there's a lot of people out there who aren't too interested in doing something other than what the herd is doing. It seems like the more likes something gets in social media, the more powerful it becomes, even if it's outrageous and unacceptable and even dangerous. The things that get the most hits on the internet these days seems to be those things that are the most outrageous. And, you know, there's a dark side to all of this that I don't think enough people are focusing on. ChatGPT does represent great possibility, but it also represents great peril. And since there is so little in the guardrails, speaking of guardrails, that is uh, defining and constraining things like chat GPT and social media, we have to ask ourselves, you know, where does the leadership come in that regard as well? So we have a Congress which can pass laws, but many of the people in Congress don't even understand this stuff. And then the question becomes, even if we have guardrails in place, if there's no enforcement of those guardrails, what does it all mean? So you're putting these themes together and you, you, you come to the conclusion, as I do, that uh, you know, there are far more potential disadvantages to technology, to America's current role in the world, to the average person's role within American society, than there are potential uh, you know, advantageous and beneficial applications. Yeah, I like what Jordan brought up, which empowered you to say what you just said, uh, Dan, which is to do with your work, not just cybersecurity, because that facilitates the necessary input that you bring in around your skill, which is risk solutions. We're risking many, many things, aren't we? We're risking saying the wrong thing. We're risking doing the wrong thing, and there will be serious repercussions. 
So it brings not only through what is is a a lot of uh, exposure and vulnerability around social media, it's giving a kind of a voice to a lot of the, the, the evil forces of which they were sort of held under a, a, a rock until we allowed this wonderful word democracy to be challenged, especially when it comes to January 6th. There was a lot of discussion and argument saying, well, if, if America's designing to be the number one place in the world, we're obliged to understand democracy. I don't think we know where we're going with that because the Greeks didn't have an answer for it. They were sort of putting it on the table when they came up with the initial idea of democracy in the first place. And it was really the whole notion of, of, of the original inquiry into democracy was really sort of still under the level of authority. We were virtually moving into new religious circles. Uh, beliefs were being challenged and the Greeks were very good to us only to a certain extent. Fast forward the clock two and a half thousand years, a democracy is still very, very, very uh, questionable, isn't it? And so I think America's role being told, well, America's the democratic source. Now, I don't think we could afford that amount of arrogance to think that America's is the, the bill or the end of, of democracy. Look at what Afghanistan, when I was when we were viewing those hundreds of people grabbing on to the, the undercarriage of those aeroplanes. So we're we're putting a lot on the on the table here. And I love the the, the, the idea of what you brought up, Dan. It was America's place in the world, because we're questioning our territories, aren't we? Julian, there's a lot more at stake than than just that. I mean, I don't know how much time you've spent in less democratic countries, but one of the things that I've noticed about spending some time in some less democratic countries is that they don't have some big problems that America and other democracies have. I mean, it sounds like a, an obvious statement, but imagine living in an America that didn't have crime and guns and lunatics on the airwaves, and that was safe. I mean, it's a, it's a foreign concept to, to most Americans now, depending on where they live, that they could actually live in a safe country. So here again, if we bring up the issue of leadership, responsibility, obligation, it seems to me that our government has an obligation to provide a safe country for us to live in. And yet, it's because of some of the tenets of democracy and things which are enshrined in our Constitution that we are less safe than so many other people in the world. Because, you know, we have the Second Amendment, which gives people the right to bear arms, even though the Second Amendment was hijacked by the NRA many years ago, because the original purpose of the Second Amendment was to protect the homeland, not to protect your home with guns. But that's for another discussion. I guess well, the point is, you know, if I could just finish that thought, yeah. Julian, I guess the point for me is that, you know, uh, it's easy to presume that democracy is by far the best method of government. And there are plenty of reasons why we might be inclined to agree with that. Would we want to live in an authoritarian state? No, most of us would not. But 
What if we lived in an authoritarian state and we didn't have all the problems that we do now? Uh, what if uh, what if the definition of good government became providing that safe place to live and taking guns off the street and reducing crime so it was almost imperceptible, like Australia and New Zealand have done, right? They just wiped guns out of their societies and they have relatively safe societies now, but that's something that's never going to happen in America. Questionable whether we've given ourselves a false sense of security by making the obligations some kind of assumption. And I like the way you've you've phrased it, Daniel. Not only do we feel obliged to, to counter all the criticism that's being thrown at us, but we need to understand our role in the world. Education is questioned. And I found out that that uh, geography in the educational system is downplayed. How can we be a global force if you don't know where the rest of the world is? You can study as much economics as you like. You can have as much conspiracy around uh, showing the world. I'd like to jump in here and uh, uh, quote the often quotable Ben Franklin. And this is the quote that's been sort of maligned and twisted. And you guys both know it very well. Those who would give up essential liberty to purchase a little temporary safety deserve neither liberty nor safety. Again, I won't comment on how people have adopted that and used it in their own, in their own for their own purposes. But isn't the cool thing about being an American person, a citizen, as crazy as it is, you have the ability to question anything. And we, we're seeing that now in the results of research into the COVID-19 experiments and all the issues that came up and whether or not we trust leadership. And isn't that the first step to securing our place in the world to regain, have leaders regain the trust, Daniel and Julian, that they have lost? And it's not just the current leadership. It's the last probably 100 years. When we put the words, sh- the, 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 the suffix ship on the back of words, I'm not a big fan of leadership. I don't think Nelson Mandela was a big fan when they let him out of Robbins Island after being incarcerated for 20 years. He wasn't prepared to show good leadership. He had to be a leader, which is why I'm in in favor of the word being. Tolstoy, I read yesterday, said, if you want to be happy, be. And it's Tolstoy who was in a part of the world that was always about to having the next revolution. Uh, uh, arrogance to assume that America's got it made. No, I think we're about to find a, a, an arrangement that is in your world, Dan. What does it mean to risk what we already know so that we might end up with some kind of solution? And Dan, before you get to that response, get to my response as well. I know you're itching to do that about the trust that has been lost and how it needs to be regained if it can be. Right. So, I mean, this is another of the underlying themes of this discussion. With responsibility and obligation, we should be adding trust. Uh, Because it seems to me that's another thing that's been lost or is in the process of being lost on so many levels in American society. So many of the basics that we took for granted, again, when we were growing up in the 60s or the 70s or the 50s, for that matter, uh, just seems to have gone by the wayside. And it seems that very few people seem to care about it because they also then don't have an appreciation of history. 
And if they had an appreciation of history, I suppose they would know the difference and be able to recognize the difference. Right. But so many people who are, you know, in their 20s and 30s today, they have no idea uh, what uh, some of us who are older uh, would have taken for granted. Uh, uh, so some of the historical figures, some of the political figures, they, they don't know who it is. It's almost like um, Jay Leno's, you know, uh, sidewalking series where he would show a picture of somebody and ask somebody who it is, and they would have no idea, even if it was the vice president of the United States. So there's a responsibility then also, it seems to me, uh, on an individual level to become informed, to care about history, to know the difference between right and wrong, all these sorts of things. Then again, um, getting back to the to the global theme, I think America is going to be finding its way for quite some time to come because we are in such a period of um, uncertainty ourselves, our political uh, future, our economic future, financial future, social future, because we are such a fractured society on so many levels. So the question is, in my mind, how does America find its way when there is so much that still has yet to be defined in this new era. I have to say, I dislike so much of what I see in this new era because I grew up in a simpler time. People cared about each other. They knew the difference between right and wrong. They cared that they might not know the difference between right and wrong, these sort of basic precepts. And then applying this to the broader theme of America's place in the world, we're at a, a very difficult crossroad right now, right? Because now, with Trump having been in power and Biden now having been in power, and we're having to make a choice that could easily result in us having to choose again between Biden and Trump. You well, know, I think whichever way America pivots in the next presidential election, whether, whether, to, whether to stay as it is in the direction that it's going or to go back to what it was just a couple of years ago, uh, that's going to say a lot about what our future place in the world can be. Well, I think you're very on the money about the right and the wrong. Because we we were forced into believing that right and wrong was a simple black and white question. Now bring this enormative social media, which has colored that discussion, and we're not even sure that those colors fit the rainbow. So, of course, we're questioning all of these huge differences of what is right and wrong. Did America get it right when they won uh, their revolution? Did they get it right with the Civil War? No, history has told us that we've got to be on our guard. And January 6th told us to be on our guard. So the whole idea of, of territory is up for grabs. And that's speaking to the world. China, I watched a program last night because I watched basically documentaries and it was an individual who's on the BBC a lot and he was visiting uh, Mozambique. And of course, you'd expect there to be sort of really uh, downgraded qualities of service. But where he ended up staying uh, was a magnificent Chinese-built hotel. And this was exotic. It was a multi-billion dollar 
enterprise and he marveled at the whole thing and of course what we're saying and what we're experiencing right now and it's no different from what the british colonial system did and what the americans have been trying to do and can we blame other people can we go around blaming other countries to behave like the way we've been behaving for the last two thousand years i mean the little british islands who were a little bit of large version of nobody created the largest empire and we're now experiencing the backfire of what are the repercussions is colonialism one of the biggest lies in the world are we trying to sort of tell and instruct the rest of the world uh uh to behave the way that we're behaving when we're we're, we're, we're hypocritical but we've got to be as i said to my two children many years ago look you're going to find yourself involved in whether to choose lying or telling the truth and i said either way you're going to be responsible for the consequences so it really highlighted this word responsibility responsibility isn't about taking sides and of course we've had enough of this taking sides for probably about five thousand years you see i just wanted to, to to comment on some of the things you're saying here i agree uh and part of the reason why it becomes very important for america to get it right going forward is because we are consequential as a country and as a people if we weren't consequential Nobody would care what happens in America. But I can tell you from having spent a lot of time living abroad, I'm currently living abroad as well, it matters. America still matters. And here again, we as a people have a responsibility for not only ourselves and our country, but ultimately for the world to get some of the basic precepts that we were founded under right. Because the Constitution is still the same today as it was 200 years ago, right? And what made America great is still the same. The question is, how can we apply it, right? And yeah. now that we have a proper peer globally in the form of China, and now that we have a truly consequential race between these two countries on so many levels, we have a responsibility to ourselves to make sure that we get it right. The concept that uh, politics or uh, government or any of the machinations of the running of the country are downwind of culture, I think really makes a difference today as opposed to 30 or 40 years ago because of the social media impact. The world looks at not just the American policy, but the American culture and not the the culture that I think is pervasive, which is good, decent people who give to charity, who help out, but the ones who get all the attention, and you know who we're talking about, the flamboyant, over-the-top, crazy people uh, who like the attention. And I don't know what the solution is except to say promote values that are traditional that have always worked for de decorate them for generations and try to uh, outshout the crazy people. Yeah, I totally agree. And uh this is part of the multifaceted aspect of American society and American influence globally that matters so much. I can be in China, I can be in Abu Dhabi as I am now, and American culture still pervades these places, whether it's fast food or Hollywood movies or American fashion 
or whatever it might be. Well, we still matter in a lot of ways in a lot of places. But then the cultural question is, is really an important one, because if you ask someone to define what American culture is, it's becoming more and more difficult to define what it actually is. As you suggest, it used to be, uh, you know, the, these very basic things that the three of us grew up with. Now I find myself having a difficult time describing what it is exactly. Well, the word I like what you say because the word that keeps coming up for me that is uh, always on the table is the word freedom. Is freedom assumed because we created some form of governance that was telling the, the British dictators to go and swim back across the pond? Or is freedom being questioned now? And was it being questioned on January 6th? And is it being questioned as to how we're going to respond to these uh, unidentified flying objects that uh, we're not quite certain as to what their uh, role was. So you bring in a lot of sort of tactical approaches, which is can uh, the culture of America afford three or four hundred billion dollars to be spent on weapons rather than sitting down and seeing other countries from their own perspective. That's the risk, isn't it? Well, we're going to uh, Julian, you know, sit down and, and seek the countries from their own individual perspectives, because Russian people are not the Russian government. American people are not the American government. And that's really the on the table part of the discussion as to is it is it and what is uh, America's uh, place in the world. Well, you bring up the subject of freedom, Julian, and I think freedom is the one commonality that crosses political and class and other lines, right? Because whether you're a Democrat or Republican, freedom is the one word that resonates to just about everyone. And freedom is the one concept that all politicians seem to want to use to energize their constituents and their campaigns. But then what exactly does freedom mean? Because if you go back to the height of the COVID-19 pandemic, freedom could be defined by many as the freedom to be just as rebellious or as dumb as they would like to be about not wearing a mask in public, for example. Freedom to many is the ability to say anything they want on the airwaves without repercussion to them themselves uh, at any time in any way. Uh, so, so freedom originally seemed to mean, you know, the ability to govern ourselves in a civil way, the ability to speak our opinions without shouting down somebody else, etc. So again, uh, until we can define what this concept actually means in modern America, it's difficult, I think, to apply it to the concept of America's place in the world. Yeah, I bring up this statement that I love to share, and I shared it to, with a number of people recently, which is what Niels Bohr, one of the, the great members of the Manhattan Project, the astrophysicist said, without realizing that which is opposite, there's no truth to anything. So of course, the whole 
human spectrum in response to the questions that we're bringing up now, which is what is freedom, brings up the word fear. And you're, brought, you're, you're bringing up a very interesting situation around the COVID-19 thing. Was it because fear was uh, overshadowing the ability to freely say uh, what treatments could be offered uh, for a disease of which we had realized the coronavirus has been around for, for probably over 100 years? Have we modernized and therefore weaponized uh, our differences to an extent where we, we're, we've lost control of our differences? I spoke to several thousand Chinese and Asian businessmen many, many years ago, and I, I said that we've been fighting over our differences pretty much all the time on the planet. Now's the opportunity uh, to actually express and represent ourselves to to represent the commonality of our differences. So I got a loud applause for that whole particular thing. And I think that's where we're at, this crossroads that you brought up as well. How important is the role of the mass media to, to change, even subtly, the direction that we take? To Julian's point about people getting together and doing good things, there are NGOs all over the planet that are doing amazing work and not getting any attention. There's an organization you may be familiar with it called Seeds of Peace that's been in the Middle East for decades that brings kids together from Palestinian and Israeli families, and it works. Trouble is, it's not getting the press, and we all know why. You know, the bleeds it leads. What role does media have in, in a free country like America to try to address the good occasionally that might inspire people? I mean, we still see newscasts where they end with an uplifting story to make people feel good, and that's great, and they should. But what much of our media in America has descended into is nothing less than a verbal fist fight or the quest for good ratings, as we've recently seen by the revelations on Fox News, where they were saying things that they knew were blatantly untrue for ratings. I mean, as long as that kind of thing is happening, I don't really see how mass media steps up to the plate. In the end, my view of mass media these days, because of what it has morphed into, is that it's a net negative. But because of what it is that they're trying to do and the reasons that they're trying to do it, the responsibility of the viewer becomes even more important again here, right? They need to be able to not just take talking points that someone on MSNBC or Fox News dished out in order to argue a point. What about thinking for yourself? You have a responsibility to think for yourself. You have a responsibility to be well enough to informed to know the difference. And one of the problems that also uh, goes into this point is that so many people get their news now from Facebook or from Twitter. They don't read a newspaper. They don't listen, as Julian does, to documentaries. Uh, they, don't, they don't really care that their whole worldview is formed by a bunch of sound bites that are, you know, 20 seconds long. That is how people, too many people, are forming their worldview. And it's a very insidious force that is uh, 
that has descended upon American society in that regard. Again, until there is a majority that knows the difference, that rejects what mass media, much of mass media has become, um, that's part of the puzzle here about how we're going to succeed or fail in establishing our place in the world. We need an educated citizenry who knows the difference and cares about the difference. Well, the, the word mass, I like what you're pointing to, Dana, because, of course, until the last 100 years, the masses didn't have much of a say in the matter. It was the governance of the authorities that were telling people literally how to behave and how to act and react. So it brings back the word responsibility. Is responsibility another form of authority? Or are we all able to respond beyond just acting and reacting? And that's really uh, the crux of the matter, whether it's uh, you, Dan, in Abu Dhabi or in China, or, or I have clients in Australia, I've got clients in Israel, because we'll be having a conversation with a, an Orthodox uh, person in, in Israel. And of course, we're now noting that Israel is sort of letting down what we might have called the guard, the guardian of democracy in the Middle East. Well, I think even that discussion is being up for grabs. I noticed in the press over the weekend that Oman has now given permission for El Al to fly of its territory. So, of course, I think the, the relationship between Israel, which is still trying to figure out the word democracy, but Israel has been sort of fired at and shot at and picked apart. But, of course, this interrelationship by nations is a very exciting uh, investigation, as I call it, or an inquiry, if you like. And that's where I think the word risk and solutions has got a lot to do with sort of the succession of people willing to let down their guards politically, economically, socially, and academically as well. Well, on the subject of risk, Julian, you've brought it up a couple of times in this conversation. Let's also be mindful that the risks associated with what individuals and governments do or don't do in this era of instant mass communication, where we have so much at stake in terms of uh, other countries' ability to compete with us on every level, uh, militarily, uh, financially, uh, any way you can think about it. Again, we have to be sure that we understand what our capabilities are, what others' capabilities are, and what our responsibility is in order to do what we need to do to make ourselves uh, the best we can be, and also to secure our place in the world going forward in this kind of environment, not just for the next presidential cycle, but going well into the future. And again, that boils down to the basics. It boils down to responsibility, obligation, trust, some of the basic precepts that we've been discussing throughout this conversation. We're not having this conversation by default with someone such as you, Dan, who's been very successful, incredibly successful, both in the written word and, of course, being able to expose your skills and talents to be attracted 
by uh, the work that you do on a global base. I think the risk solutions and countrywide solutions is literally a way in which we can see. And I'd like to find out what is it that you will see the commonality of the differences when you're engaging with people from so many different countries. The more I travel, the more people I meet from all over the world, Julian, the conclusion that I've come to is that we have far more in common than we have against one another. It's governments that seem to find ways to divide people. The people themselves, if you think about, again, the basics, we all want the same things out of life. We all want the same things for our kids. How is it that we've lost sight of all of this? And what is it that we need to do to get back on track? If you ask me, am I optimistic or pessimistic about the future of America? I'm an eternal optimist about America because of what it is and what it can be. But I'm going to reserve judgment about whether I'm optimistic about America finding its place in the world, depending on what happens in this next presidential election. If the pendulum stays where it is, uh, I think my optimism increases greatly about our prospects. If it swings back the other way, uh, I think all bets are off and almost anything can happen and we become vulnerable on so many levels. I, it's my hope, and I, I'm certainly believing that it's uh, both your and Jordan's hope also, that America finds its way and soon. Our thanks once again to Daniel Wagner, founder of Country Risk Solutions. And you can find out more about Daniel and his work at the website, countryrisksolutions.com. The conversation continues on the Language for Leading podcast with Julian Sturt, available on all podcast platforms. Remember to subscribe, download, rate, and review the show. And tell your friends and colleagues about it. The Language for Leading podcast, impactful conversation about fundamental principles that will grow your business and change your life for the better.